All right, well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the last day of this particular class. All right, so I want to cover some uh, just kind of high-level truths uh, and uh, do something that I've been wanting to do for several weeks and just haven't had the time to do, but I have the time today. Uh, And then I'm going to do a quick overview of everything that we've covered in this class, just as a repetition of of a reminder of of what we've covered uh, thematically. And then, uh, if, uh, well, I'm, I'm hoping we'll have time for this, uh, and if you're willing, I would love to hear uh, things that you have learned, things that have been helpful, maybe ways in which you've applied some of the truths that you've learned. Uh, so I'm going to save that for last so that you have time to think about that and build up the courage to share. <laughs> uh, and that'll also happen after the review part, so if you want to you know, uh, remember everything that we've talked about. So, but uh, let's start with Romans fifteen fourteen. Let's start there. Again, just, just some reminders of truths uh, that we've worked through. Romans 15, verse 14. As Paul gets close to the end of this letter, remember that uh, he has spent 11 chapters talking about the gospel He said at the very beginning, chapter 1, that he is uh, eager to go to Rome to preach the gospel to the believers, to remind them of the work of Christ on their behalf. And so he does that for 11 chapters. And then in chapter 12, he transitions to, okay, now that we understand and remember what Christ has done for us, what does that mean? How how are we to live in light of that? So he calls us to a life of, of conformity to Christ, of transformation and not being conformed to this world. And then from 12 to basically 15, all the way through 15, he walks through the, the practical implications of life in Christ, of all various kinds, how to, how to um, live in, in the life of the church, you know, using your spiritual gifts, how to engage and respond to uh, those who would treat you as their enemies, and maybe those who you feel you are your enemies, um, how to uh, handle situations where believers disagree on uh, how we should live, whether in, in their case, whether we should eat meat sacrifice to idols or not, you know, those kinds of things, uh, and various other, other matters. And so then he comes here to chapter 15, and he says in verse 14, I myself, having said everything that I've said, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, And able to instruct one another. But, he says, on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you... Um, have had any level of exposure to biblical counseling, you've probably heard Romans 15, 14 repeatedly. It's, it's often expressed as a passage that uh, conveys to us that we as believers, all of us have the ability to counsel one another. When he says there at the end of verse 14 that you are able to instruct one another, the word instruct there is nutheteo from which uh, some have uh, created the English word nuthetic, nuthetic counseling, and that simply refers to 
counseling that is putting into the mind, that's what the word nutheteo literally as a wooden translation would mean, putting into the mind. Uh, Nuthetic counseling is putting into the mind the scripture to help someone navigate the challenges of their life. And so he says, you yourselves, you're full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge. So you have what you need as believers in order to put the truth of God into the minds of others to help them grow and change. But then, uh, but then he says, I have, uh, but in what I've written here in, in, in this letter, it's been by way of reminder because you, you effectively already know these things. And what's the purpose? Down in verse 16, so that the offering, the reason Paul's written these things is that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So that's where he gets to the, the purpose of what he's written, and you could really say that's the purpose of our instruction toward one another. That we would be acceptable, uh, that we would be an acceptable sacrifice sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, that we would be growing in conformity to Christ, and that we would uh, present ourselves pleasing to Christ. And that's the purpose for which Christ died, isn't it? In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might present the church to himself, holy and blameless and above reproach. So Christ died to make us holy, to sanctify us. Paul's ministry was aimed at helping uh, Gentiles be uh, sanctified for uh, an offering to God. And that really is our purpose in our instruction to one another. And uh, again, just by way of reminder, go back over uh, to Ephesians chapter 4. Okay. Yes. So that Gentile can be translated as a, um, unbelievers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in, in Paul's case in particular, because he's the apostle to the Gentiles. Well, in, in Rome, he's speaking to a mixed audience because Rome, yes, it has a lot of Jews, but there's also a lot of Gentile believers in, in Rome itself. So Gentiles became more or less a synonym for unbelievers. And so what, when he refers to Gentiles there, I think what he's um, just referring to believers getting saved and then be, being sanctified. So ge- unbelievers, generally speaking. Yeah. Does that help? Okay. <laughs> All right, in Ephesians chapter 4, again, Paul gives us the purpose of the church. Starting in verse 11, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, we are, uh, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, <laughs> makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is what we're to be about in, in the life of the body of Christ. Uh, church, by God's design, is not a place you go once a week to watch uh, 
amateur musicians uh, put on a um, less than stellar concert <laughs> uh, with you know the uh, low budget laser lights and fog machines and uh, and then have somebody go up there and give you a life coaching lesson you know for 20 minutes and then call it a day and hey we've had church today no church is for us to gather together that we're all supposed to be speaking to one another uh, in the various interactions and conversations that we have and yes there's there's certainly those who lead there are those leaders as he talks about in verse 11 whose purpose is to equip the saints in classroom in um, in, in the worship service and in preaching, proclamation of God's word. But we're all to participate in the, the body life of Christ in speaking to one another uh, the truth and love. And the, the purpose of our gathering is to help each other grow in Christ. We've looked at uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, uh, on a number of occasions, where Paul says there, um, but exhort one another. Every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So whether it's Sunday, or Monday, or Tuesday, or Wednesday, or Thursday, or Friday, or Saturday, uh, we are to be speaking to one another when we have those opportunities, uh, so that we would not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're to encourage one another, and to remind each other of the truths of God. And then in chapter 10, uh, the author of Hebrews writes in verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So again, just time and time again, we are to speak to one another, we're to encourage one another, we're to admonish one another, and of course, the, the basis, the, the substance of what we say, what we communicate, is the Word of God. Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. He says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on, uh, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. And then, he, and then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, you could say even among you, richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So again, the Word of God is the, the content. It's, it's the substance of, how, of what we are to be saying to one another. And we speak to one another in all kinds of ways. We speak words of encouragement. We speak words of comfort. We speak words of compassion and mercy and love. Uh, we give exhortations. We instruct one another. Uh, and in, in all of those things, we do it not just with the content of the Word of God, but with the attitude of love and compassion and grace. And with the ultimate goal, as he says there in verse 17, um, of glorifying God. We do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.
Okay. Again, I know that all that's r- reminder for you, but we, d- we need to be reminded of that. You know, when you come on Sunday mornings, I don't want you to be thinking, uh, what's Pastor Gabe going to do for me today? <laughs> um, what's the teacher going to teach me today? Uh, but rather be thinking, who can I encourage today? Uh, I have this you know, bookmark. I hope you have it too, uh, that, that we've uh, made available to you. Uh, Sunday morning, who, you can ask yourself, who can I welcome? Who can I encourage? Who can I pray with or for? What joy or sorrow should I, can I share with someone? What sin should I confess to someone? Uh, those, those are conversations that we can have with one another, and we should be thinking about um, how we can encourage and minister to one another. Again, not just on Sundays. Uh, when you go to your small group Bible study, when you get together uh, for uh, you know, a meal, during the week, whatever else you do to spend time with other believers. Uh, that's, that's how we should be engaging with each other. Now, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. You might already be there in Ephesians chapter 4. I think in, in all that we've talked about, you under, again, you understand this principle that we're going to see here, but I just want to press it uh, once again on your mind. That everything that we do as we think about helping people change, being an agent of change in the lives of others, everything we do is spiritual warfare. It's a spiritual activity. We know what Paul says in was it Second Corinthians 12, that we do not battle against flesh and blood, right? but against the spiritual forces. Um, and that's what he communicates here, that after walking through the... the uh, doctrines of salvation, Ephesians 1 through 3, after walking through the implications of salvation in chapters 4, 5, and beginning of 6, uh, he reminds us that we're engaged in a spiritual battle. And so let's just read and meditate a little bit on Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I guess that was Ephesians 6, not 2 Corinthians 12. (laughs) But against rulers, uh, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over his present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And I know he goes on to ask for personal prayer, but we can stop there. When you think about your own personal life, the challenges that you face, the trials that come at you, the temptations that rise up within you, when you think about the lives of others, uh, the trials that come into their lives, and the the temptations that rise up within their own hearts, we have to remember that it's a spiritual battle. And so while we can certainly give a lot of practical advice, as we've talked a little bit about the last couple of weeks in terms of 
uh, giving practical steps to growth and change, uh, we always have to remember the spiritual battle that's taking place. And as much as uh, there's a spiritual battle in a person's own heart uh, between the, the new man and the old man, if you will, between the, the spiritual uh, life within a person, the, the spirit himself within a person, and the flesh, that there's that constant battle that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. Uh, there's also another spiritual battle, another level or layer to the spiritual war, and that's with the schemes of the evil one, the spiritual forces that are at work in our world. And so he reminds us the importance of the importance of putting on the whole armor of God. And what is that armor? It's the, it's the doctrines, it's the truths, it's the realities of who we are in Christ. We talked about in one, one of the sessions a few weeks ago about instilling, or I guess this was last week, instilling identity in Christ in another person. And that's what Paul emphasizes here. But uh, I think it's helpful just think through these different components here because these are not so much identities as much as uh, what God has done for us in Christ. So let's think about this. Just imagine yourself uh, either now at this current season of your life or maybe you think back to uh, some other season where you were weak, where you were struggling, where you were... Um, sorrowing, where you were tempted uh, in various ways. Life wasn't what you wanted it to be. What kinds of truths do you need to have in mind? And then conversely, how then can you minister and encourage another believer in their difficult times of life? Well, he says there, verse 14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Having fastened on the belt of truth. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to preach a whole sermon on, on this whole passage, but just to walk through these quickly. What he's effectively communicating here is you have to decide in your life who you're going to believe. Are you going to believe God and His Word? Or are you going to believe something else? You know, what, your own personal opinions, the things that people are, are saying to you, the billboards, the media advertisements. Who are you going to believe? He says, fasten on the belt of truth. Remember that the truth of God, that's what holds everything else in its place. Remember that in the 66 books of the Bible, God has given you the truth. He's not lied to you. He's not trying to deceive you. He's given you the truth. And, and so we need to commit ourselves to um, uh, wrapping that truth around us as a guard and a protection and then he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. There's hardly anything more debilitating than guilt and shame. Because if, if you're riddled with guilt and shame, uh, you will be tempted to uh, think that God's not for you. That God's against you. And if God's not for you, if, if God's against you, then you're going to be tempted to, well, what's the point of following Him? What's the point of obeying Him if I'm just under His punishment and wrath and I've already sinned might as well just sin some more you know we, we succumb to all kinds of temptations and, and false thoughts if if we uh, don't remember that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ 
that what makes us acceptable to God is not our own actions, our own righteousness, but rather the, the righteousness of Christ that the Father sees us through. He, he looks at us and He sees the perfect life of Christ as though we had lived the life that Christ lived. He's obviously not deceived. He knows about our sin, but He sees us through the righteousness of Christ. And that is how we ought to uh, remember who we are. That we are righteous in Christ. All our sins are forgiven. They are washed clean. They are cast as far as the east is from the west. We are righteous in Christ. And therefore, when the evil one, which one of his favorite schemes is to cast guilt and shame and accuse, he's known as the accuser of the brethren, when, when those darts, those... Uh, arrows <laughs> come at us, they, they can't penetrate because, because we are righteous in Christ. And then he says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You think about uh, a soldier's footwear. Uh, it's essential to have uh, footwear that enables you to stand, to, to stay standing, because uh, unlike today, where a lot of combat, and I'm of course, very, speaking very generally, a lot of combat is at a distance. Uh, it's shooting over a, a, you know, a number of yards, if not hundreds of feet or whatever it is. Um, back then, there was a lot of up-close, hand-to-hand combat. And if you're in hand-to-hand combat and you go to the ground, you're done. <laughs> Your opponent automatically has a lethal uh, advantage over you. And so it's essential for us to have the gospel of peace steadying our feet so that we don't fall to the ground and give an advantage to the evil one. And how does the gospel of peace do that? Well, it's a stabilizing force in our life because it cannot be taken away from us. Our eternity is secure. As I've already said, our sins are forgiven. Our relationship with God is established and cannot be broken Uh, And so we don't, you know, if you can keep with the metaphor, we don't get broken sandals. (laughs) Uh, The laces don't snap. Uh, We are secure. It grounds us. Nothing can can cause us to to fall down if we're remembering the peace that has been won by Christ uh, between us and God and us and one another as, as the people of God. So the gospel grounds us and we have to keep it readily in mind. He he mentions, uh, he moves on to talk about, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Um, What does it mean? How do we practically take up the shield of faith? When uh, lying thoughts, when uh, deceiving ideas, temptations... Uh, false ideologies come at you, how do you, what, what is that shield? <laughs> what, what, what do you actually do to be protected against those lies? Well, I would say essentially the same thing that I said with regard to the belt of truth. The shield of faith is uh, actively believing what God says over and against anything else. So that when those lies come at you, you say, that is a lie. That is not true. What God says is about that is true. And of course, we have to know the, the, the truth of God to be able to have that internal conversation. 
But the shield of faith is being able to identify the lie and speak truth and affirm the truth rather than um, be influenced by the lie. That's how he says we extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And then he, he says, take up the helmet of salvation. Of course, any head blow is going to be a fatal blow uh, by and large. And so the helmet of salvation is our security. That again, because our salvation is secure in Christ, uh, because we are held in the grip of Christ and no one can take us out of the Father's hand, um, we, uh, we cannot be fatally wounded. Um, God has secured our salvation. And then he mentions the only offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Uh, if we're going to engage in the spiritual battle of life, if we're going to overcome temptation, if we're going to endure trials, we have to have the Word of God at our hand. Uh, we, we need to know the Word of God. We need to be in the Word of God. We need to be meditating on the Word of God because that's what we can direct uh, in terms of an outward expression of faith, um, uh, combating the lies, uh, we have to use the Word of God uh, to engage in the battle. Uh, and then, of course, praying at all times in the Spirit. So there's dependency. You know, we're not out there by ourselves. We're recognizing our need for the Holy Spirit, for His help, uh, for His wisdom, for His strength and comfort and all that He provides for us as believers. In all of these things, what we're, uh, what we're doing is we're constantly reminding ourselves of what God has done for us in Christ, what He has revealed to us through Christ and in His Word, what He's provided for us in, in life, um, and um, as, as we face the battle, those are, those are just the simple basic truths that, that help us in warfare, uh, that enable us to endure uh, the trials and the difficulties and the temptations. Uh, our problem is simply that we just forget those things. I mean, we just plain forget those things. Uh, we, we go out on the battlefield with flip-flops and shorts and a tank top, <laughs> um, and we, we don't at all consider uh, the significant truths that... that um, which are just basic gospel truths that God has given us for engaging in the battle. So, you know, when you think about, again, ministering to someone else, helping people change, um, I would tell you, though it's true that you need to have, you know, it's best if you have good facility with the Word of God, that you know the Word of God. Uh, when I say that, I don't necessarily mean that you're a scholar, <laughs> that you've read commentaries and that you're able to preach a sermon or you know, that you're able to engage in some academic study or that you know all the apologetics, you know, defenses of the faith and all that stuff. What I'm saying is you need to know the Word of God and it's simple truths that, that uh, God has uh, revealed to us about our salvation. That's, that's what I find myself saying like 95% of the time. I, that made up that number. But you know, so much of the time, uh, I'm just talking about the gospel. Uh, and you know, for those of you who were in the previous class where we looked at the three trees diagram, I use that in counseling. In fact, <laughs> going to have a counseling. I thought I was going to have a counseling session yesterday, so I pre-drew that that diagram on the board just to remind the person of the, that reality. And 
it turned out I had forgotten that they canceled the appointment. So. <laughs> um, but I, I use that. You know, I, we talk through the gospel a lot in my office when I meet with people because uh, those basic truths are absolutely essential. Um, and so I would encourage you to, to become an expert in the gospel. You know, you know it. You have to know it in order to believe it, in order to be a believer, to follow Christ. Uh, but we need, we need to get to know it more and more. So I just commend you to, to that uh, endeavor and encourage you, wh- wherever you're at, whatever your level of knowledge is of Scripture, be purposeful uh, to engage in conversation uh, with others, to be sensitive to what's going on in the lives of others. You know, you hear those little statements that somebody might make that indicates that there's a struggle going on in their life of some kind. And uh, don't be afraid or embarrassed to, uh, to dig into that. Say, what did you mean by that? <laughs> Are you doing okay? Uh, or, you know, whatever you know about somebody's life, just check in on them and, and be an, an encourager to them. All right. Well, let me do a review uh, of what we've talked about just to bring all of the, the main ideas that we've considered in, in this class to your memory. And then, again, uh, especially for those of you who might have come later, I want to give an opportunity that if you have been helped in any particular way, if there's a truth that's been helpful to you just in thinking through these things, uh, what has stood out to you over the last number of weeks, uh, maybe if there is an instance where you've used some of these truths or principles in your interaction with others, of course, be discreet in uh, identifying details, but uh, any, any kind of just reflection on how these truths have been helpful to you, that would be, I think, a way that we can encourage one another. So we started out lesson one, week one, with this idea of help. You know, it's a class called Helping People Change, and we talked about how so often we assume that if we need help, there's something inherently wrong with us. That we should, in and of ourselves, have the resources to deal with any situation in life. And so if we need help, that means there's something wrong with us. And we talked about how that's simply not true. That God designed us as dependent creatures. He made us to need help outside of ourselves. First and foremost, His help as represented by his revelation of instructions to Adam and Eve uh, and the counsel that he offered them, the the rules that he uh, uh, communicated to them. Uh, They needed his help to know uh, how how to live life. I mean, he had to tell them, we don't have the quote per se, but... Well, actually, we do in Genesis 1, 26 to 28 or so, uh, of what they are to eat. You know, he didn't just create them and say, have fun, <laughs> see if you can figure out what to eat. No, he told them, every green plant, you know, is, is for your food. Um, and, and so they needed help outside of ourselves. And that's only more true now that we're under the curse of sin. That uh, while there are things that perhaps we can work through in our own, we can wrestle in our own heart before the Lord and obviously with His Word and His Spirit, um, uh, we can, we can you know, overcome sin and temptation and whatnot. Uh, but it's um, a natural reality that we need one another. That's why God instituted the church, because we can't live the Christian life on our own. We're not designed to live the Christian life on our own. We're designed to need one another. So, that was lesson one. Lesson two is 
fo- was focused on the heart. And we talked about how whatever rules the heart will have an inescapable influence over our life and behavior. And so when you look at the externals of the things that a person says or the things that they do, their actions, uh, those externals are revealing what's going on in the heart. And we don't help anybody truly when we just change the externals. Don't use these words, use those words. (laughs) Don't do these things, do those things. Uh, That might be helpful in some ways, but it's not truly bringing about God-glorifying, sanctifying change in a person's life. We have to address the heart, which is the the mind and the emotions, the the affections and the will. We have to understand the desires uh, that drive a person, their motivations. So we're aiming, we want to aim at the heart of an individual. In lesson three, we talked about the hope that we have to change. And that we have hope, we can change because of the new life that we have in Christ. That because of the, the redemption that we have in Christ, that we've been dead and buried and raised with Christ, that now we have the power of the Spirit dwelling within us and we have the power to change, if you will, not in and of ourselves, but through the Spirit. And so we can grow and change because of what Christ has done for us. And then lesson four, we talked about our responsibility as ambassadors. That when God saves us, uh, he calls us to be his ambassadors in the lives of others. Uh, To plead with people to be reconciled to God. Uh, To minister the word of God and the grace of God to others in, in their lives. And, uh, and so that's what he's called us to. This is not an optional, if, if you feel like it and you feel super spiritual and you're a you know, very mature Christian, this is one, one way in which you can serve Christ. No, this is what we're all called to do with one another. We're responsible to minister Christ and his word to others. And then we spent the last number of weeks working through those four outline points, the love, know, speak, do. Love is recognizing that we are to love one another as Christ has loved us. We're to get into one another's lives. We're to build relationships of love whereby in the context of that relationship we can minister the truth to one another. We are to uh, suffer in in life so that we will be qualified agents of his comfort uh, and compassion. Uh, Suffering is a gift from the Lord as much as we would love to give it back. Uh, but it's a gift from Him so that we can grow in Christ uh, and minister as a result of the comfort He gives us. We're to know the other person. So we, we, we don't know what's in the heart of another person unless they reveal it to us. And the way they tend to reveal it to us is when we ask questions. People don't tend to just let me, let me uh, dis- uh, disclose my heart to you. Uh, we have to ask questions. We have to draw out the heart. We have to uh, understand what's going on in a person's life, how they think, what they believe, uh, what their values and priorities and desires are. We need to just draw those things out of a person so we can understand the dynamics of their heart and what's giving rise to the troubles and difficulties in their life. And then as a result of knowing where their heart is, then we can bring the truth of God to bear in light of the realities uh, of, of their situation. We can help them think biblically about their situation, you know, bring the, the truths about suffering or sin, whatever it is, uh, to bear in their lives, remind them about what God's Word says about their situation, 
their motives and their behavior. And then we, we that's part of the, the speaking, that we uh, confront where it's needed, that we point out to a believer that what you're doing, what you're saying, what you're believing is not honoring to the Lord. We help them to consider, to confess, and to commit, uh, to change. We, you know, we're not simply there to demand that they believe everything that we say, but that they consider what the Word of God says, that they confess their sin to the Lord and to those they've sinned against, that they commit to change, and that they walk uh, in the path of repentance. And then we help them. Uh, consider what that path of repentance looks like. What, what does it look like to change? What practical things do they need to put off? How do they need to renew their mind? And then what can they put on in uh, a life that's honoring to the Lord? Now, we talked about the circles of responsibility, you know, that we are responsible for some things that the, God has given us responsibility for. Then there's many other things that we're not responsible for that, that we entrust uh, to the Lord. And then we finished last week talking about accountability. And how we are to help one another. That when we're trapped in sin, when a person is trapped in sin, that we help each other uh, out of that sin and walk uh, with them. And not just uh, you know check in to see how many times they failed last week. But that we walk with them in the process of growth and change. So that's, those are all the main ideas, the big thoughts that we covered over the last uh, 12 weeks. Uh, Obviously, there's a whole lot more that could be talked about. Um, These are things that we grow in wisdom uh, and application of these principles the more that we have opportunity to minister to others. Uh, I'm a very different biblical counselor today than I was five years ago when I first came to this church. And I was very different then than I was 10 years ago when I first started, or 10 years before that, I should say, when I first started counseling. So we, we're constantly as uh, growing, change, maturing, learning how to more effectively minister the Word of God. We shouldn't wait until we think we have all the answers before we start to do ministry. But we just be faithful with what God's entrusted to us and see how the Spirit will work through us. And, uh, and then we have the joy of seeing the Word of God work in the lives of people. And you quickly find out that whenever somebody actually changes for the glory of God, when sanctification takes place, you are never the explanation for that. Uh, it's not because you said the right things or you, you, you know, held them accountable the right way. It's simply because the Word of God was used by the Spirit of God to work transformation in their heart. And that's just a joy to have a front row seat to that work of the Spirit in their life. All right. I'll go ahead and stop there. And see if anyone has anything they'd like to share of just to encourage all of us of what, again, what you've learned, what you've been encouraged by. If there's anything that's been particularly helpful. Ron, I see that hesitating hand. <laughs> uh, maybe some advice, direction. Uh, I think our class here, or at least the way it's being presented, is generally... Believers helping other believers. However, there's also those around us that are unbelievers that, of course, we want to help. And again, uh, or I'm about to say this not to bring any glory to myself, it's to to bring to the Lord. And my friend was uh, 
feeling a little down because he just rejected uh, a marriage proposal, and he's an unbeliever, and I know it, and she's an unbeliever. Uh, and however, I, spe I, I spoke biblical truth, like I said, hey, you're wanting to get married is a good thing. It's a, it's a, a, a blessing from the Lord, I said. So it's good that you have that desire to get married, you know? And so uh, maybe some advice in sort of like the pitfalls, being careful of uh, how to help them knowing, knowing they're not a, a believer. Or I don't know if that made any sense. But. Well, I mean, the, the, yeah, certainly the general idea makes perfect sense. Um, it's, there's certainly nothing wrong with giving practical advice to an unbeliever to help them in their life. And what a blessing it would be that an unbeliever would even come to you. Uh, because that would demonstrate, in some cases, um, that they have seen something about you that gives them the desire to seek your advice. Because we all know people that we would, if we had a question about life, we would like, I'm not going to ask that guy. Like, <laughs> he doesn't know what he's talking about, right? So the fact that anyone would come to us, an unbeliever meaning, uh, and seek our counsel is an indication that they've seen something uh, that's given them a, a level of trust. So that's a, a blessing, and, and we don't want to say, sorry, I can't talk to you, you're an unbeliever. So we can certainly give counsel and advice and answer questions and things like that. But in the course of that, and of course we have to use tact, wisdom, and, and you know, understanding the dynamic of our relationship with them, but we also need to be bold and to con consider how can we give counsel and wisdom in a way that grounds, that they know that the source of our counsel is not us ourselves, but the Lord. Uh, that any, any truth, any wisdom, any, any help that we have to offer is not simply born out of our experience, even though there might be an element of that, but that uh, God has given us in His Word truth and uh, He helps us to know how to handle these situations in life. And so, uh, I would say we can give practical advice, but somehow look for ways to insert uh, uh, biblical truth uh, and even gospel truth uh, to point people to the ultimate source of wisdom. Yeah, he said he uh, consulted with a few other friends, but he's like, Ron, your advice was the best. <laughs> and I said, well, it came from the Bible. There you go. There you go. That's, that's a great response. Good. One of my weaknesses when people come to me that they have a problem is that I try to just respond too quickly, I think. And one of the things that really impacted me in this class was when you said that we have to um, consider ourselves first. Like I have to consider my motivation hmm. with the person, um, my attitude towards the person before I open my mouth. Um, and my goal would should be to glorify God. Mm -hmm. So that was an encouragement to me to mm -hmm. take a breath first mm -hmm. and not just immediately respond with my own made-up encouragement. Mm -hmm. Good. Good, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. I've been um, for a couple of weeks as a joke telling people I've been taking this class at church called Making People Change. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so... I know I'm, I'm uh, I have OCD and other issues, but 
I would love to change people. Um, one, but one, no, but my takeaway from this class, Pastor, really has been listening, not opening something. What Carolyn said, mm -hmm. not really just speaking out because. Oh, let me you know, let me tell you what I would do. Mm -hmm. And that's hard because we all have our own opinions and mm -hmm. really listening, whether you relate to it or not. And maybe if they're believers, pray with them mm -hmm. or say, "I'll keep you in prayer." Mm -hmm. And if they're not, that's an opportunity. And something I struggle with sometimes sharing um, the gospel with people, unbelievers, I guess maybe because of rejection or mm -hmm. I've had one person recently say, I, I don't talk about religion. I, I said something about his grandfather because he's very ill in the hospital. And I said, is your grandfather a believer? He was like, I don't know. I don't, we, don't, we don't talk about religion. Mm -hmm. And I, that threw me off. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I want to keep trying mm -hmm. and also reaching out. So a lot of times just really listening. And that's what I learned most about this class, I think, that just kind of take mental notes mm -hmm. and pray for them. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. One of the um, things that I was interested in this class was making people, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that I have so many loved ones and friends who especially call themselves Christians mm -hmm. and not walking with in line um, with the scriptures, and I see that, and not being able to really express it to them, that the reason you have this predicament or this problem is because, you know, your life is not in line of God's truth. Mm -hmm. And I was not able to really say that because I don't want to make them feel bad or preachy or mm -hmm. judgmental, sure. per se. Sure. And I got really convicted many of those things because it's not like my understanding or my idea. It's just coming from God's truth, God's word. So, so from that on, I was um, thinking more. Like, okay, so when when that opportunity comes, I should just be a little bit more bold mm. with God's grace, and so that I should be able to say, um, like, specific issues. These days, I have so many people. I mean, I wouldn't say so many people, but close friends or uh, um, their brother is getting ready to marry to another man. And this person is so-called, they know God and they're Christian, but they have no problem because, they, you know, they don't want to say anything because they feel bad to hurt their mm -hmm. feelings and things like that. So. In that kind of situation, and there's another situation that I have another friend whose daughter is transitioning from mm. girl to man, and their church that don't accept it, so he changed church mm. who were accepting like that. Mm. And then I just see that, and I hear this, their story and not being able to say anything, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and those kind of really like very practical situation that we we. Up yeah. against all the time, and so that's um, I'm trying to be really bold and pray, and then mm -hmm. how to speak mm -hmm. the truth yeah. mm -hmm. in love. Mm -hmm. So you, if you don't speak the truth, then you're not loving, and that's the mm -hmm. biggest conviction that I yeah. got. Um, yeah, it's good. That's great. Very helpful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, Karen. One of the things. Well, first of all, it's been wonderful. Mm -hmm. And thank you, you know. Um, 
is almost like when, I, when I'm with somebody, because I have an opportunity. I'm with so many non-believers, and it's very challenging um, of what they say. And it's like to hear what they're not saying. Sure. Even believers, you know, like to, to hear what they're not saying, because a lot of times what I've realized is people don't have the courage to really just say it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So if I listen, I can then I can ask mm -hmm. questions, mm -hmm. like yeah. maybe that or something. But I had a, met a friend of mine for uh, the other night. He flew in from North Carolina. It's a friend of mine and my husband. And got on the same conversation that you were talking about. And I don't know, I just think I'm too hard. You know, I think that, because um, what I said was, want me to tell you what I said? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I said, if you look down, you're a guy. <laughs> and you can't not say you're not. Like, that's how I said it. Mm -hmm. And same with me. Mm -hmm. You know, like, mm -hmm. you're a man, I'm a woman. Mm -hmm. And if somebody says, I can't say I'm a woman, there's mm -hmm. going to be a problem. <laughs> and I thought it was funny, actually. <laughs> started laughing. But, um, and I was thinking of the class when I was driving home, I was thinking, I probably didn't do that right. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I probably didn't say it right. I probably didn't, you know, but it worked. I don't know. So I guess God just, you know, and then, you know, I was, did quote scripture. Mm -hmm. They weren't mm -hmm. very interested because they said their ex-wife ruined Jesus for mm -hmm. them. And so we got into that, you mm -hmm. know. But it was a great conversation, but mm -hmm. this new stuff with, you know, the, the men and the women mm -hmm. and, you know, my truth is my truth, you know, all of that. Like, I'm not, I'm not a politically correct person at all out here, you know. So sometimes I, I just ask the Lord to help mm -hmm. me be a little more, mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but, and I let him know I love the Lord, you know, and I'm going to yeah. stick with him till the day I'm with him, yeah. you know, and they yeah. just look at me, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, but it's, it, it was challenging the other night until finally that's when I just said, look, you look at, you know, like you can't yeah. deny that, yeah. you know. And he tried to tell me it was about how they feel. And I said, that's the whole problem with this world, you know, they base everything on how they feel. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what, yeah. if it was good or not, but he did thank me for the conversation. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like it ended well. And, you know, the beautiful thing about the Lord is uh, one of the, many beautiful things is that he uses our personality you know and and you know you're one of um you know many people that the lord has made to, to have that ability to speak directly and uh, boldly and clearly and uh, and and clearly in this situation uh he received it in a way that um didn't uh break the relationship right, right. it sounds like and you know yeah. So, you know, sometimes I envy people like you uh, because I feel like I, I, I'm more of a beat around the bush kind of yeah. guy. And I have to overcome that yeah. temptation. And I need to be more direct sometimes. So, anyway. Yeah. Can I come into the I coulda, woulda, shoulda thing? <laughs> the I coulda, woulda, shoulda said this or whatever. Save that for the next conversation. But know that the Spirit led you to say what you said yeah. when you said it yeah. and not what you didn't say. Yeah. So yeah. don't have any sort of those re regrets. Save it for the next conversation. <laughs> Very good. All right. Anybody else?
Yeah, Mark. Over the years, I've come to realize one: you got to look in the mirror before you encourage anybody, um, because your life is being witnessed, your lifestyle, and everybody falls. Everybody has doubt, no matter who they are. Yeah. And times God will have you speak what he wants you to speak and then we have to pull back and let God's word do the work and not expect an immediate change in somebody um, because I'm a living example that mm-hmm. God used my falls mm-hmm. to make me the man I am today mm-hmm. um, and it takes time so mm-hmm. But, you know, love is doing everything with, with a love is what matters. Mm-hmm. You know, because when you're trying to encourage somebody, but yet talking down to them, mm-hmm. uh, that gets you nowhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Just maybe a, a little testimony as an encouragement. Um, last fall, or in the fall, I had the opportunity to minister to a young man, teenager, uh, from another church. And uh, uh, it was really encouraging to see how he was responding to the Word of God. He he came in, you know, I've counseled a number of teenagers, apart from my own kids. um, But uh, if, if they come in to meet with, you know, a pastor as a teenager, and their attitude is you know, shut down and not interested, it's really not going to be helpful, <laughs> you know. So that's what I'm always interested to see the first time I meet with someone. Uh, is Are they willing? And I'll usually ask them, like, are you here because you want to be here or because your parents are forcing you to be here? Anyway, this young man, he wanted to be there. At least that's what he said. Um, and it was apparent that uh, he was soaking up the truth. We were really just talking through his identity in Christ uh, over the course of a number of weeks, uh, he testified as time progressed as that his particular struggle was uh, being overcome. And so eventually, we, I, I graduated him, if, if you will. It's kind of what we call it uh, when we end counseling. And just encouraged him to keep walking with the Lord and you know, just keep growing in Christ. Well, um, just a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, uh, I got a, a desperate email from his mom saying that you know he's been caught again in his struggle and he's even struggled with suicidal thoughts um so i'm like okay well let's let's get together and so uh this time it it was pretty obvious that he didn't really want to be there (laughs) but um as we just got talking about things and i was just asking him questions uh he was finally honest with me that he was kind of lying the whole time that he was meeting with me before that he wasn't really changing. Uh, he was lying about his improvement. He was lying about wanting to meet with me, just all that kind of stuff. He's a really good liar. And um, so I'm like, hey, that's okay. I'm, I'm not offended by that. You know, you didn't sin against, well, I guess in a sense I said, I'm not offended. You know, certainly that's a sin against the Lord, uh, but I'm not mad at you and, and whatnot. And so we, as we talked a little bit, um, I was just trying to say, okay, is this young man wanting to change now? <laughs> um, and uh, so we, we talked about some things, and at the end I said, well, 
Um, do you want to meet again? Yeah, I'd be happy to do that, but only really if you want to. I don't want to force you. And he's like, yeah, yeah, let's meet again. And, uh, and so I met with him again uh, yesterday. And, of course, the difficult thing with a situation like this is when someone has lied repeatedly, you don't know, okay, are they lying again? Yeah. <laughs> but um, you can only work with what, what you hear. And uh, it was encouraging to hear, you know, uh, I guess a different kind of disposition that was that appear, had certainly a significant appearance of genuineness and desire to change and grow and whatnot. And I, I say that to you just to encourage you that uh, you don't know really what is in the heart of the other person. And even if they, you know, you ask questions and they tell you answers that seem to reveal their heart, you still don't know uh, ultimately the way that God knows their heart. And so that's, you know, what we often uh, struggle with is uh, we, uh, we give someone counsel, they seem to hear it, but then they go off and do something the opposite, right? They don't follow through with the counsel, and, and then we get frustrated and, you know, whatever. Um, but I just want to encourage you to continue to be faithful because if you're faithful and if you're bringing the truth to bear, if you're showing the love of Christ, uh, even if, they are not responsive in that moment, or even if their positive response turns out to be a deception or whatever, uh, what you're doing is you're manifesting the, the kindness of Christ to them. And uh, at some point, if, if it's not then, at some point in the future, they will remember that and they will know that you're the kind of person that wants to minister to them and, and show love and kindness and speak truth to them. And so, again, it's not about how can you bring about change in another person's life. This is how can you be an ambassador for Christ? How can you be his representative? Uh, and then let the Lord work according to his will uh, in the lives of others. And maybe he'll bring about dramatic change. And maybe he'll harden someone's heart. Um, and then, you know, who knows what the long-term future is, uh, how things will turn. So just be faithful to the Lord and know that he will work through you. All right, Brian? Yeah, so along, along that line, you know, as we're witnessing to people presenting the gospel, God is sovereign whether or not that person comes in or not. It's not us, nothing that we can do in course. Along the same line, we're counseling others, we're exhorting them, God's word, we're encouraging them to apply it in their lives. If the person that we're counseling is not growing in Christ. They're just going with emotions. They're not really doing anything. But they're still a blessing for us because we are gaining more of a knowledge of Christ. Because I've seen as I'm counseling a couple of fellows, talking to others, exhorting them, I'm growing myself. Hey, God's speaking to my heart, maybe in a different way, but as I'm preparing, as I'm talking to them, I'm growing so much. This person, I'm hoping to get the joy that God will use me in their lives. Right? I want to see them come to a, a stronger knowledge and grow in the wisdom of Christ. It means that God used me in their life. But that may not happen. But at the same time, God is growing. And I, I've seen it because you had the two classes. 
how can I change? Mm -hmm. and how can I help others change? Or how can I make people change? <laughs> um, but the main thing is that God is speaking to all of us. Mm -hmm. yeah. Amen. That's a good word to end on. Let me pray.